Ooh, yes. It is time for something I can't believe I get to do and that people actually want to hear. Well, I think you want to hear it. Um, <laughs> this is your Patreon-only monthly Star Trek update. Now, a couple things about the Star Trek update, okay? Uh, one is, first off, let me know if you do like this. Like, if you really do dig the Star Trek update that comes out every month, okay? Because there's the chance that, honestly, after February, um, because Star Trek Discovery will be, the se- season one will end uh, mid-February. And then also the latest Star Trek Discovery book, Drastic Measures, comes out February 6th. And so I'll have that listened to uh, probably within a day. I'm actually really looking forward to that, even though now, and spoiler alerts, folks, spoiler alerts, we're going to be talking about all the episodes that have happened so far with Star Trek Discovery. Uh, Because even though now, you know, that book was going to portray heavily um, Captain Lorca, or at least the character of Gabriel Lorca. I don't know that he was exactly captain yet. Kirk is in it as well, but it's a very young Kirk and Philippa Georgiou's in it. But now, you know, knowing what we know of Captain Lorca, that he's actually, again, spoiler alerts, that he's actually a Terran. He's, you know, he's from the mirror universe originally. I mean, there was obviously a, uh, a Lorca in the prime universe. I mean, like I, I I'm curious how this book is is going to, you know, what this is going to say about Lorca, what Lorca was like. I mean, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll find out. But a part of me, admittedly, isn't as excited for the book Drastic Measures now that Lorca is, you know, we find out he's this, or at least the Lorca we know in Discovery is from an alternate, you know, you know, it's from the Mirror Universe. Which, I mean, I'm I'm fine with that. Well, all right, we're going to talk about all that in a minute. But anyway, after the point I was getting to, after February. Um, we are looking at, I mean, there's, there's kind of going to be a dearth of Star Trek content. There's not a lot of new books coming out this year. Um, there's going to be comic books every month, but I don't know that like a couple issues of a comic book coming out every month is really enough to make like an entire Patreon show out of until we get to season two of discovery. So, I mean, and there's there's another um, discovery novel, I think, that comes out in the summer. I mean, there's stuff to come out. But bottom line being is that unless you really want the Star Trek update, I'm probably going to put it on hiatus until I collect like enough material to really talk about um, come come after February Um, or unless there's some kind of like special occasion or something. But I'll probably take a break because I don't think season two of Discovery is going to come out until 20 2019. Um, I mean, believe me, I can find classic stuff to talk about, and there are still, I'm going to do the Sovereign Top 8s for Voyager and Deep Space Nine. I don't think it makes sense to do it for Discovery, Um, but I will do those as well, and maybe I'll release those like in March and then another one in April or something like that. Um, You you know, what? I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to do as far as a release schedule for that. What would be really fun would be to have Ellen and Stephanie on again for for those and actually have them do those with me uh, if they're open to it, you know, to talk about their favorite episodes from each of those series uh, as well. That way it's not just me flapping my yap, but we get like three top eights in one. I think that that would be pretty cool. Uh, But bottom line, I I just I want to know and I kind of have two questions. Bottom line that I'm getting here at the beginning and then we're going to we have a lot to review. We're going to talk about discovery. We're going to talk about some comic books um, we're going to talk about uh, a blue uh, the blu-ray for star trek 2 uh, the director's cut um, we're going to talk about uh, the latest release from la la land records of volume two of their four disc set of deep space nine music we've got a lot we're going to talk about here okay but anyway what i want to ask you know just coming out of the gate and you can let me know 
You can message me on Patreon. You know, you can private message me on Patreon, or you can just comment on this sound itself, on this um, on, on this piece of content that you're listening to on Patreon. Connect with me there. I mean, if you really want to, you can tell me on Twitter, I suppose. But um, but let me know, like, do you want monthly continued Star Trek updates regardless? Do you like the Star Trek updates at all? You know, I know a couple people that like them, but do you, you know, we have over a hundred some odd Patreons or patrons, um, and we've actually lost a few in January. Very, very weird, but whatever, you know, but this is me checking in. Do you want the Star Trek updates? The Star Wars updates are going to keep happening. And, and, you know, if you listen to the live Q and a from earlier this week, uh, you heard about the exciting news that that is that I'll be having a uh, uh, Robin with me. Uh, he'll be, he'll be co-hosting the Star Wars updates. And I think that that's really exciting. Um, but let me know if you want the Star Trek updates to continue, uh, if you want these to keep rocking. The other thing I want to know. So, uh, and I know I have a ton of projects and actually like second half of February, I'm going to be like working really hard on a lot of the, or like really wrapping up a lot of these projects, um, and this whole month of January, I've been working on a lot of them and you, you're going to be shocked when all this stuff finally unleashes. Um, but we have the, the holiday special that still has to come out, which, you know, pretty much <laughs> it looks like it's going to be like, like Easter 2018 at this, at this rate, but it's still a holiday, right? It's still a holiday special. Anyway, um, after that comes out, uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to do another Halloween, like a long form, you know, hour, hour plus or almost two hours. Um, cause I mean, this is the, the holiday special is really long. That's what's taking so long to put it together. Uh, but I, I'm not sure if, if I'm going to do another, another sovereign tech like Halloween special in there or holiday special in that vein. I don't know if I'm going to make that happen, but what I really want to do. And the reason I want to do it is because I want the kind of the franchise name, not, not sovereign tech to, to kind of like bring in a bunch of people. And so here, here's, here's the thing. So I've written, I've largely written up, um, a, an entire audio special, much like the holiday specials, like, you know, the Soviet tech episodes and everything that everybody knows and loves. Um, I've written up a, a, a pretty lengthy one for star Wars, but you know, I'll tell you in my heart of hearts, the one I really want to do, I'd really rather do like a star Trek erotic audio piece of fiction. And I kind of want to do it just to piss off Paramount and CBS because I don't think that they're paying attention to that sort of thing. Like they're not used to somebody wanting to do real audio theater. And also there is, you know, speaking of, of a dearth, there's really a dearth of, I mean, there's Star Trek audiobooks, but they're not done to the level of production that like the Star Wars audiobooks are done. Like pretty much every month or every other month or so, depending on, on what the release schedule is. You know, Disney puts out a pretty steady stream of full on Star Wars audio theater in the shape of audiobook versions of novelizations. OK, um, so I I don't and, and Star Wars is kind. this year seems to be kind of in a rough patch. And there's there's like two movies coming out and everything. I guess what I'm asking you is this. Would you the patrons I want to know from the patrons and maybe I'll make a full post asking people about this. Would you be more interested in later this year? There being a Star Wars erotic audio uh, theater production from Sovereign Tech or, you know, from me and, and, and you know, my, my, my cast of, of players. Um, or would you rather it be a Star Trek erotic 
audio production. Okay. Let me know which of those two you want. And and really, if you just want another after the holiday special, if you just want another Sovereign Tech one, I suppose you could tell me that too. And maybe if there's enough votes for that, um, I'll say fine. All right, I'll I'll just do another another Sovereign Tech one. But just to shake things up, and what I because what I think could happen is that appealing like like getting creating that and creating and hopefully creating a ton of buzz if it's really well done, which I like to think that I do. You know, really great audio or not really great. I like to think that I that my audio theater productions are. Um, a cut above. How about that? I'll try to be modest. Okay. I like to think that they're a cut above. So I think it'd be pretty wild if suddenly, you know, I released either a Star Wars or Star Star Trek um, erotic audio uh, work that, you know, maybe like io9 would feature it because it would just get, you know, it would go so viral or something like that. And then that would bring a bunch of people to Sovereign Tech. Right. So that I mean, that's that's my way of thinking. And I, it's not something I can sell. It's not something I'm, I, I want to I'm going to make money off of. Uh, it's just it's literally something to just like draw people in to say, like, holy, holy shit, who made this? You know, and if anything, maybe it leads them to the sovereign tech, uh, you know, to the sovereign universe, you know, like to the Soviet tech episodes, the fictional episodes. And then maybe that how whatever the progression is. But you let me know. Which one? And maybe, like I said, maybe I'll do a full a full poll um, on a you know a, a post poll p o l l um, on Patreon to let me know what you think. But I I think this is a, this is a direction to go. Uh, the only other ones that I would do anything like this for, and like if you've never heard them from like Big Finish Productions, that's a company. Uh, they do they do this sort of thing like this audio theater, not erotic. That would be the unique part that I would bring, and that's why I think it would garner attention because of the eroticism, the like the heavy eroticism of it. Um, I I think that well, like Big Finish does. They did Blake Seven, they did Highlander, they did uh, Stargate, you know, SG One and Atlantis and all that. Um, like I, I would be tempted to do you know, like a Stargate one, but I mean, you, if you had other suggestions you'd want or other franchises you want to suggest, go ahead and send them my way. Uh, but I really think that the strong points, you know, the irons that are hot right now would be star Wars and star Trek. And I think star Trek might be the thing that, that needs like the fill in more so than star Wars. Um, and I, I mean, I have, you know, look, I'll be honest. I'll be Frank. I should say I'm always honest, but I'll be Frank. Um, I have been in my own mind, like fantasizing so many Star Trek fantasies, like the amount of time it would take me to write an erotic Star Trek audio production, like to write it, you know, because that's the only thing that's the only area where it'd really be behind from what I've already done for the Star Wars audio production, which would still happen in the future. Either one of these is still going to happen in the future. It's just a question of which one happens first. Uh, I like I could write that probably inside of a day (laughs) because like I am always fantasizing, you know, sexual fantasizing with Star Trek, like all the fucking time. You have no idea. Uh, so and if you want to share some like thoughts or ideas or like uh, well, like what era you'd want it to take place in and all that, you're welcome to, you know, to, to send that my way, too. Um, but I think this could be a really cool thing. So I'm just putting that out there and also letting you know that Star Trek updates might be like, you know, after February, they might slow down until discovery comes back. Um, and then I'll just like, or when there's like enough content that has come out, be it novels or comics or something where it's worthy of a full review. Um, I'll do a, you know, I'll, I'll do another star Trek update. Or if you don't give a rat's ass about the star Trek updates, please 
tell me that too, okay? But you're definitely going to get one in February where we I have a ton to talk about uh, come February, not just the end of, not just the, the, the finale of uh, season one of Discovery either. So, okay, um, let's, why don't we go ahead and start talking about Star Trek Discovery? We'll get that out of the way uh, since I think that's probably what a lot of people are wondering about. Um, I am baffled, okay, with Star Trek Discovery. I am baffled, not by the show, I am baffled at the amount of hate that this show seems to get. I don't, I don't understand it, you know, uh, especially look, most Star Trek shows, their season one, not the most exciting thing on planet earth. You know, I mean like the original series, some of its best episodes are in season one, but it was groundbreaking. You know, it was, it was the first of its kind. Of course, it's very interesting. Um, but let's go down the list. Enterprise season one, I don't think most people really think about season one when they think Enterprise. Everybody thinks season four, right? Honestly, Star Trek The Next Generation, most people want to forget about season one of Star Trek The Next Generation. I don't. There's episodes I love in that. Conspiracy. Um, I even like The Naked Now. There's a bunch of them that I really enjoy. Uh, you, you know, but most people, they they want to forget. Hell, they even want to forget season two. You know, for, for a lot of people, Star Trek The Next Generation started in like season three. And that's fine. Like, I, I respect those opinions and I understand their viewpoints and they're valid. OK, I'm just saying, let's be clear here that most Star Trek isn't that great out of the gate. Now, I'm not saying Discovery is the greatest thing on planet Earth. It's certainly it's season one is just as solid as and one could almost argue perhaps as confusing as season one of Enterprise. OK, uh, and some people, you know, some people just hate Enterprise no matter what. Um, I love that show. Uh, I th- I think it's just as solid a season one as Deep Space Nine. And I mean, even more so than what Deep Space Nine had. I think it's more solid than season one of Voyager. I think this is as far as Star Trek rate ranking so far, as far as Star Trek's go, this is a, a pretty good season one, maybe the best season one since the original series. I mean, t- tell, tell me I'm wrong, you know, uh, and but I, I am I'm fucking I am absolutely baffled that you have all these people who are saying, oh, we're not getting any character development. We're not getting look in season one of the next generation. Did you really know that much about Worf? Come on, like that much. No, you find out all about it later on in like season three and everything when you start dealing with the Duras family and all that bullshit, you know, like stop. Like people are way too fucking critical like of this show. They are not allowing giving it the chance to grow and they are forgetting, even though they're claiming they're real Star Trek fans, they are forgetting that Star Trek is, you know, allows for a degree of, of a slow buildup. Now, they are. This is a series that is obviously with all its twists and turns. OK. It is a show that's really trying to appeal to a more modern um, uh, uh, TV viewer, okay, that's used to a lot, of, a lot of hooks, a lot of twists and turns, a lot of bait and switch, a lot of this other stuff. Now, the, those kinds of things can annoy me, okay? They, they really can. Um, honestly, if a lot of the bait and switch and everything that was going on didn't lead us to what we find out is and what most people already knew was going to be a part of season one because Jonathan Frakes, like, earlier in the year it, it kind of dropped the ball on on or you know had had leaked uh the matter even whether he intended to or not um that we would be going to the mirror universe if the twists and turns didn't take us into the mirror universe i might have been a little annoyed but i i just me personally i love the mirror universe so much like i i i every time a series goes there 
you know, when D Space Nine went there, oh my God. I mean, <laughs> or should I say, I'm sorry, oh my Satan. Uh, like Kira, in, you know, in, in, in the Mirror Universe, uh, yeah, please. <laughs> you know, I can go down the list of it. Uh, you know, or even in, in the novels, in the novelizations, like in the, uh, in the Shatnerverse, in the Shatner novels when they go to the Mirror Universe. It's tremendous. Anytime we go to the mirror universe, in my opinion, it's always a good time. It's always super memorable. It's 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 been called this recently when they talk about it with Star Trek Discovery. But I think it's true. It's probably the most famous alternate universe of all time in science fiction. Uh, you know, where, where a, a science fiction universe has an alternate universe, it's the most famous one out of any franchise. Uh, and I agree. I, I totally agree. And I, I think that's really uh, you know, I just all the explorations and in every way that it goes, I think it's really fascinating. Now, there have been a lot of clarity. There's been a lot of clarity brought up. I mean, you know, the the three episodes that we've seen, episode 10, 11 and uh, or no, wait, four episodes, I guess it'd be 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 and 13, uh, because we ended off with Into the Forest I Go. That was where it ended in November 2017. Now in January, it's picked right back up and we've gotten uh, the wolf inside vaulting ambition or no, I'm sorry. Uh, Despite Yourself, The Wolf Inside, Vaulting Ambition, and What's Past is Prologue is the episode that just aired uh, this past week as I am recording this on January 30th, 2018. Okay. All four of these have just hit the ground running. We're in the mirror universe. Um, Now, the reveal that, and I thought that this was really cool and really sexy. I mean, here, look, that that's part of what does the what makes the mirror universe so great for me is the fact that it's really sexy. And amazingly, even though they're not wearing, you know, kind of the the, the almost bikini uniforms that were being worn in uh, in the original series when you first when you get the original episode of Mirror Mirror, uh, the the like kind of the gold and black uniforms that they've got on. In the mirror universe, in this version of the Imperial Starfleet, you know, of the Terran Empire, um, I think they're hot. They look great. And boy, even even Tilly, Captain Killy, <laughs> looks fantastic. Everybody's just looking so good uh, in those uniforms. And then when you get the reveal that, you know, the emperor is Philippa Georgiou, of course, who died in the prime universe, but is still, you know, alive in the mirror universe and is the head of the empire. That was a Oh, that was that was great. <laughs> like that was a that was really cool and tremendous that throughout these episodes you've gotten to actually see. I mean, you know, you, you have Michelle Yeoh here. How do you not use the physicality, regardless of her age? And she looks great for her age. You know, how do you not use the physicality that she can bring to a, you know to to a production? Uh, you know, like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and so many others. Of course, you're going to, and you get to see it. And and she, I mean, she's awesome. Um, yeah, so the stylings of the whole Terran Empire and everything, I think, are are, are fantastic. Um, I do have one complaint when it comes to this little, like, four-episode story arc. more or, Well, four or five episodes, depending on how you want to count it. Um, I, I do have, I have, a, I have a, a concern around it, or, or something that I wish we could have seen more of that we didn't get the chance to see. But anyway, uh, yeah, the, the, you know, the reveal that Lorca this whole time was really, you know, a Terran and he was just trying to get back to the mirror universe, which he's originally from and everything. Um, I, you know, I, I have no problem with that. I'll say again that the, the way that they're saying, 
how a lot of commentators on on Discovery were saying that, oh, we don't like Lorca because Starfleet captains aren't bad. They're not evil like this. This is wrong. This doesn't feel like Star Trek. And then this is supposed to, like, justify it because actually you find out he's a Terran and everything. Right down to the fact that, like, they have a hard time with the bright lights and all that. You find out that every Terran has that genetic issue. Um, Again, if he wasn't Terran, it still would have been fine because you have at least two or three captains in the original series who do go nuts, who are evil um, in in Starfleet that, no, he's not breaking precedent at all. We, you know, we have examples of uh, captains that are not on the up and up. And this does, you know, the whole Terran Empire thing and Lorca being a Terran and all that, this does put the kibosh for now on section 31 on the on the theory that it, that the discovery belonged to section 31 and i and that's that's kind of a pity i mean it could still come up but as it stands right now it looks like that's not going to be a part of it and it looks like you know all of this really feels like everything after like episode three of of discovery where effectively brian fuller who was originally supposed to be the showrunner uh, kind of like, you know, wasn't the writer anymore and seems to have let go of the reins. There are a lot of stories like Lorca's Menagerie, which I don't I don't understand Lorca's Menagerie at all. Like it's like he's building something up. But if he's just. You know, if he's just a Terran trying to get back to the Terran Empire, what's with his fucking Menagerie? You know, which that's like his room where he has all of these. I I guess the point that I'm going to make overall, because also there's like where where are all the black badge, uh, uh, you know, like uh, Starfleet officers on board the Discovery. Like th- they mentioned that once, I think, in episode three of the show. And then we never see anything else of it, you know, and it doesn't look like we're going to see anything else of it anytime soon. I there's a part of me that feels like. Brian Fuller, well, we know Brian Fuller had one idea of the way that the show was supposed to go. It was supposed to be more of an anthology series than anything else. I kind of feel like Brian Fuller had a different direction that the show was going to go. And I don't know that Lorca being part of the Terran Empire was originally supposed to be part of this. It feels way more like they did some kind of dramatic shift, like after episode four or five or like actually after episode three, like that there was some kind of crazy shift in the direction that the show was going and that the original plan was kind of thrown out, but they just love Brian Fuller's writing so much. They ran with what he had already written for, you know, into episode three um, of the series. It, it all, it it's, does feel disjointed. Okay. Like the show, the, I'll give it, I'll say that, you know, overall I'm enjoying what I'm seeing and it is very intense. Okay. But the show does feel incredibly disjointed in, in, in what it's in, how it's all kind of coming together. And it's half of me wonders if they knew what Brian Fuller wanted to do for each season of the show. And they just like tried to take all the storylines and ram them and, you know, jam them all into one season of season one. It's very odd. Like, I mean, this is this is really fast paced shit. You know, like I'm, I'm actually glad they took a break. Because there are so many shifts and changes and and hooks and twists that, you know, like if you if you watched it all at once, I don't know, I think it might come off as a little too much uh, because of how, you know, the fast pace that it's going at. So um, we only have, I think, two episodes left to the first season um, that will be airing in the next couple weeks. 
So, but overall, like I said, I've enjoyed it. Um, I've really like. I mean, and part of it is due to my, you know, just just my bias of enjoying the Mirror Universe so much. And it is really cool the stuff that they've put on. Um, I'm glad that they did not kill off Emperor uh, Philippa or Emperor Giorgio. Um, I love the fact that there's a hint in her name that she is a descendant or at least pays homage to Empress Hoshi who uh, or Empress Sato, I should say, from a uh, season four of, uh, of, uh, of Enterprise. This is the one thing that I wish they would have shown us. All we get is like a little shot on like a on a screen on a view screen. Um, and it's like a blueprint. It's not even an actual picture of it. I wanted to see the defiant that came over from in a mirror darkly. I really wanted to see the defiant. You see that it's modified a bit. I wanted to see that so bad. Um, my biggest hope is that at the very least, like maybe Eagle Moss, which is making the has been making the Star Trek Starships collection for a couple of years now or for, well, I guess a few years now. My hope is, is that they come out with a re, the refit defiant ISS defiant. And because I want to see that that refit constitution class, I was really hoping that it was going to be like, you know, uh, Emperor Georgios, that it was going to be her flagship. Um, but instead she has this very weird flagship that, I mean, I can understand why, because the, her flagship was based upon mycelium technology, but yeah, boy, I, I would have liked that a lot. And I'm kind of disappointed that that didn't come out. I will say though, quick, and this is not related to, uh, to discovery. Um, Eagle Moss did announce, in fact, this is weird. So Eagle Moss did announce with their starship collections. I don't collect all of them. I have some of them like their special editions. I, I get some of those. Uh, they they did release a Star Trek Phase Two, which I'll probably review in the February Star Trek update. Um, the Phase Two Enterprise Star Trek Phase Two was this original idea um, where before they were going to make Star Trek the motion picture, they were just going to bring Star Trek back as a TV series, and it was called Star Trek Phase Two. At least that was the production name for it. And they had full on, I mean, they brought in a bunch of different, you know, they had Matt Jeffries, I think, again, um, they had Ralph McQuarrie. They had a bunch of different people come in and do concept artwork for what the show would look like. And this is going to get important later on uh, in, in this episode or in, in the Star Trek update. But anyway, I did. They they released a, a shop exclusive. So it's not part of like the monthly collection that comes out, which I don't bother with that. Uh, but they, they came out with a shop exclusive of the Phase 2 Refit Enterprise, NCC-1701. Um, and that wasn't supposed to come out till like March or April, but I just got an email this morning saying, oh, yeah, you know, you'll have it in 7 to 10 days. And I was like, oh, I thought I pre-ordered it, but it's like you're sending it to me like it just came out. Uh, but whatever. Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll probably talk about that in the February update, um, which is pretty cool. But I would love to see Eagle Moss come out with the Defiant, with the ISS Defiant, the refitted ISS Defiant. They did come out with the Discovery, which I pre-ordered that. That's not supposed to come out till March. Um, when I got the email from Eagle Moss this morning, I was hoping it was going to be the model of the Discovery, but or, you know, not the model, but the, um, well, I mean, it's a model, but it's, you know, pre-built. Um, that, that probably, I won't get that until March, but I've had that pre-ordered for a couple months now, as soon as they announced it. So anyway, um, yeah, you know, the, the getting back to um, 
getting back to discovery in these episodes, the action has really, really been solid. I mean, like all the action that they're and they are letting the women just be total badasses. Uh, that's really cool. Like I said, it's pretty cool that Emperor Georgiou is seems to be she's going to help out with the, you know, the Klingon war. Um, in fact, I, I'm intrigued because when they finally get back from the mirror universe at the end of what passed as prologue. Uh, you know, they find out that the Klingons seem to be winning the war, more or less, and that Starfleet's in really, really uh, serious trouble. Um, I'm curious if there's going to be some other kind of jump at some point where they get back, you know, where they 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 get back to a point in the timeline where they can stop the Klingon Empire from taking over the bulk of the Federation. But I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm really, really intrigued by this. If honestly, if like we find out in what's past is prologue. If we find out that, yes, this is how this is going to be like this is part of the prime timeline, that there was a point where the Klingons conquered a huge chunk of the Federation, it would make sense why so many times what happens in the original series where the Enterprise is like the only ship in the area, that would suddenly start to make sense because Starfleet has had to completely rebuild itself you know, perhaps from the ground up, much like what happened after, you know, uh, the Battle of Wolf 359 with, um, you know, in, in Best of Both Worlds in the next generation where, you know, hundreds of, or however many ships were, were destroyed. So we'll see, you know, we'll, we'll really, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But I, I think that that would all fit in and everything that's going on, um, you know, with everything that's going on with like the, you know, encountering the mirror universe, uh, early or not early because you found out that it was, you know, there was already kind of an encounter, you know, in, with enterprise and a mirror darkly. Not that that was, you know, an encounter with the, with the enterprise crew of the prime universe, but you get my point. Anyway, all of this can still fit in very nicely with the prime timeline that we know and love and fit in within the canon. Um, again, they have, they continue to go out of their way to put constant references to the prime timeline canon. Um, I've always been very pleased with that. Uh, yeah, yeah, we could use some more character development. Um, it was still kind of sad to see uh, the doctor uh, get killed off. So, I mean, again, those are more of those twists and everything that seemed to happen really fast. But, you know, I, they're 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 on a path. And, and I, I, th- I think it's really working. If anything, the style that the show brings on is just so, so slick and often sexy. In fact, you know, some of this they must have had planned for a while, like particularly with the Terran Empire. So uh, Emperor Georgiou has that sword, right, which I hope that they release a replica of that at some point. Looks like a, gla- a gladiator sword of sorts. Um, I, I think it's stunning. Um, there's a reason that it probably looks like that, because now we find out and I'll talk about this more in a second. We find out where the where the, the Terran Empire started. Uh, but anyway, the combadge. For in Star Trek The Next Generation in the comic book series Mirror Broken, which takes place in the Mirror Universe, right, has the evil Picard with the goatee and the big muscles and all that stuff um, that I'm trying to look like. But <laughs> uh, in that comic series, the uh, the combadge, okay, in that has a picture of the Earth, okay, and then it has like this this weird looking sword going through it. And that's the actual combadge. That's what they have in place of the Delta Shield on their uniforms. So uh, QMX came out with one of uh, came out with a replica of these, which they come out with a lot of the replicas of the com badges, including they came out with all the ones for discovery, which um, I got one of those on release day. Uh, But they also came out with a com badge for mirror broken for the next generation and for their mirror universe. And I picked that up. And 
What's amazing is you don't realize it until you see uh, the, you know, the, the mirror universe story arc within Discovery that the sword running through, um, you know, running through like like in the original series in Mirror Mirror, you had the dagger going through the earth. Right. And I mean, that like everybody kind of understood that because everybody carried one of those daggers. But in the next generation, it's this full on sword. And it's like, wow, what the hell is that sword? Well, now you know what that sword is. It's the sword that of the emperor that Philippa Giorgio has. And it looks exactly like it. So the thing is, is that the art team for Mirror Broken, which has been running long before the uh or, you know, was planned out and has already started running long before the mirror universe story arc within discovery was going, um, that they, they must've been in cahoots. Like they were talking to each other because obviously, you know, like the, the, the sword symbol in mirror broken and the sword in, uh, you know, in, in discovery are the same one, which I think is really cool. Like, and, and I love the design of it. Like I said, I, I really do hope they come out with a replica uh, of it at some point. So all that said, look, I mean, if you've been watching it, you know how you feel about everything that's going on. I've been enjoying it. I think it's been a fun ride. It's been a little bit too fast of a ride. I'll get I'll say that much um, there there. It almost feels like the X-Files where there's been little plot points that have been brought up that have kind of been dropped off. Maybe they're going to come back. I don't think they can come back inside of two episodes. Um, I'm going to be really disappointed if we never get an explanation for those uh, black badged. Uh, uh, Starfleet officers on there. I'm going to be really disappointed. Uh, it does overall. I mean, again, the, this it does feel a little disjointed, but they do seem to be starting to tie a bunch of stuff together, uh, you know, and 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 make it make it work. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't mind. You know, people are like, well, Stamets, you know, was back to normal too quickly. Blah blah blah. Yeah, I don't know. Like, no, none of that has has really bothered me. Um, and, you know, maybe we're going to find out kind of like in season six of The Next Generation when you found out that warp drive was bad for the environment, quote unquote. Of course, they forgot about it that eventually that maybe, you know, accessing the mycelium network is, quote unquote, bad for the, you know, bad for the universe. They were hinting at that within the, uh, you know, this mirror universe uh, story arc. And maybe that's why, you know, we never hear about mycelium drives or anything like that ever again, because you find out, oh, no, we're, we can't use it. Otherwise, we're going to destroy like the entire universe and even the multiverse, uh, which is, uh, you know, certainly interesting. So yeah, I've, I've been digging discovery. I like what they, what, you know, I, I'm going to give them more time. We'll see what season two ends up looking like and everything. Like I said, even if you have problems with it, no start, no season one, other than the original series, no season one of star Trek, like was really firing on all cylinders right from the beginning. They just, they weren't. They just weren't. And you weren't getting like all the character development and everything right out right right away either. Um, so, yeah, we'll 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 see what happens. But again, I am I am personally loving it. And I just love any amount of time spent in the mirror universe or even discussing the mirror universe or having a character from the mirror universe. In. And I think this is a very clever use of Michelle Yeoh uh, and the character of Emperor Giorgio, all that. I, I just I, I think it's it's very interesting. So I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this season's going to wrap up, I guess, to round out discovery. um, the comic series so far for uh, for Star Trek Discovery, which it looks they're not doing like one main comic series. They're doing mini series effectively like four issue miniseries. In fact, uh, right now, the miniseries is uh, The Light of Kalos, Star Trek Discovery, The Light of Kalos. And it's covering the rise of Takuvma, who is, you know, the guy that that started more or less started the whole Klingon war uh, with the Federation in Discovery. Um, who gets killed off like in the second episode, <laughs> but, uh, but you're getting a lot of history about him, which is interesting, you know, to get that because he was, 
you know, kind of a compelling character right out of the gate, you know, and, and, and you're wanting to know so much about like these not really new versions of Klingons, but I mean that they look new, but like this, this kind of this expansion upon uh, Klingon lore and Klingon civilization. Um, it was, it kind of sucked to lose to Kuvma so quickly. Um, oh, that was the other thing too. Okay. Yeah, I know the storyline with Ash Tyler. We talked about that and how, yeah, he's probably an agent and everything. And there's a lot of people who are sort of expecting it. Um, whatever. That's fine. <laughs> but it does feel like you have two, two. That's the thing with the twist with Ash Tyler being a Voke and then Lorca being a Terran. Like, it, it, I don't know, it's, it's kind of too much at once. And I almost think that that CBS has like kind of leaked the thing about Voke, so that way you weren't paying attention to the fact that Lorca was actually a Terran, and so like they could kind of hide a twist. I think that there, I I get the sense that CBS is actually doing a lot of controlled leaks um, with this show to to try and you know kind of kind of keep like the Star Trek diehards you know like to try try and trick them, but I, I don't know how well that's working. So anyway, um, with Takuma and with the comic book series uh, The Light of Kalos. Um, I you know it's two issues in Takuma it's interesting to get a little more history on him issue two we we reviewed issue one I think back in the November update or the December Star Trek update uh with issue two you end up because at the end of issue one you know that Takuma is going off to Boreth which Boreth is as established in the next generation is where like the 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 monks for Kaless, uh, you know, effectively reside. And so he's there and you get to see more of what people go through on Boreth and everything. And you get some understanding like that, or, you know, Takuvma has his vision of Kaless or of the light anyway, which uh, some think is Kaless, others don't know, you know, and, uh, you know, Takuvma is like fulfilling this prophecy and the, and the monks on Boreth mostly recognize this. Uh, and so, you know, this is the path of the creation of a religious figure. Um, it's it's interesting to see these aspects of Klingon culture, but, you know, it's not the most engaging comic book reading. Like, actually, I think that this storyline, particularly this history of Takuvma, would have made a much better novel than an actual like comic book. But maybe they felt the need to make it a comic book just so that you could be you could visually see the Klingons and like you weren't thinking, all right, do some of these Klingons look like the new Klingons or do they look like, you know, the old Klingons like Worf or like, you know, what's the deal here? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know, you know, what, what, what their thinking was, but this, this isn't exactly working the best as a comic book right now. Uh, but we still have two more issues to go with that. There's after this comes out, they're going to start an actual, and I'm excited about this, a mirror universe, uh, comic book miniseries called succession, uh, which we don't know anything. I don't really know anything about what that's going to be about other than it does take place in the mirror universe. Uh, maybe has to do with Lorca's betrayal. Maybe has to do with Giorgio, how she got into power. I would love to see a comic book about that. Um, the, these are, you know, the bulk of the tie in material for discovery, be it the novels, which we will be reviewing uh, the new novel, like I said, in February. Um, the novels, the comics, they're all laying out backstory like that. That seems to be the thing. They're not, they're not doing much else. And that's OK. And honestly, like then there's no re I don't see any reason to not just straight up say they're canon. You know, there have been some back and forth on whether or not all the tie in material to discovery is canon. You might as well let it be because you're not you're not really doing anything that's forwarding so much the story that exists within, you know, within the, sh the TV show itself. 
So just let it be. You know, if it's all if it's all prologue, I mean, well, then fuck, you know, treat treat it as canon and, and give us a little something. Um, So, yeah, that, I mean, that's that's that that's kind of my thoughts on that. It's not the most engaging comic book series. You can certainly wait until the trade paperback. It's not really adding anything serious to the, um, you know, to the lore of what's going on in Discovery, which is different from how I felt about uh, was it Desperate Measures or Desperate Hour. Yeah, Drastic Measures is the one is the book coming out in February. Desperate Hours is the one that came out uh like in September right when the show premiered. Like that, that book helps you very much understand a lot more of what's going on in the show. Like it really helps you understand. It it, it solves a lot of what some people felt to be plot holes or problems with the design of the show and everything. David Max sol- solved all of that in that in Desperate Hours. It's such it's such an enjoyable book. Um, but this is one light of Kalos. I think you can wait, like, you know, just wait for the trade paperback to come out if you really want to, uh, nothing too exciting, uh, you know, coming out as far as it's, it's not like, you know, it's not, Oh man, I can't wait for the next issue or anything. You definitely don't feel that way. Um, now another, uh, series that I said I would review this month and, and this was like a six issue mini series as part of the 50th anniversary of star Trek. I was not, when it was first announced back in 2017, I was not aware that it was meant to be a mini series. In fact, I was pretty sure they were just talking about it as a straight series, but maybe it didn't sell well enough for them to be able to pull it off. But I want to talk about it here for a little bit. Um, And it's Star Trek Waypoint. Uh, IDW put it out. They're the ones that are putting out pretty much all the Star Trek comics uh, now, including the Star Trek Discovery comics. And IDW has done overall for the past, I don't know, however long they've, they've held the, uh, the, you know, held the license for the franchise has been doing a great job. I'd want to say they've been doing this probably for almost 10 years now, uh, if not longer. So I still I still feel that like Marvel had a run in the late 90s with Star Trek uh, comics that I think is second to none. Like nobody's nobody's really picked up the ball and ran with it the way that Marvel was doing. And this is pre Disney Marvel back when Marvel was cool. Uh, You know, that they they I mean, they got it like they were giving you Star Trek that you've wanted for a very long time. Uh, but IDW is doing an excellent job as well. You know, it's just not as like intermixed as Marvel's version was. That's the only thing Marvel still kind of holds over it. And again, I'm talking the late 90s Marvel uh, uh, Star Trek runs with the titles like Early Voyages and their run with Deep Space Nine and, um, you know, and the, the Starfleet Academy and all that. Those are fantastic. So anyway, um, IDW, yeah, they, uh, they released Waypoint, which is kind of it's an anthology series like and each issue had one or maybe it'd have two or three stories in each one. Um, and there was a lot of varying art designs involved. Uh, they were just little stories, you, you know, uh, and not Canon. Obviously most of the comics outside of discovery aren't even remotely considered Canon other than star Trek, the next generation hive, the, the, the miniseries called hive that's supposedly still Canon. Uh, and that has to do with the destruction, the, you know, the ultimate destruction of the Borg. I don't know if, if CBS and Paramount still consider that canon, but for at least a little while it was. Um, and sadly, it's not like the best comic book series ever made. Anyway, so Waypoint, uh, this was fun. It, it opened the, the first story, first issue, you get a, a story with that takes place, I don't know, maybe 20 years or so, maybe less um, after the next generation. And you have a much older uh, uh, Jordy LaForge who's the captain of, of a newer enterprise that looks a lot like the Nova class that was uh, mapped out in the Star Trek, the next generation technical manual from the nineties. Um, and I don't, they never say what letter it is. They, you know, 
So I'm guessing it's the F, uh, but you know maybe it's the G. I don't, I don't know. But anyway, uh, and data is like uploaded into it, and he's he's actually the like he is the entire computer core for the new Enterprise, which is kind of interesting and cool. Uh, it's a fun story, and 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 it ends up where they they encounter like this super futuristic um, uh, Starfleet ship that actually looks like a board cube of all things. It's it, they they were kind of hinting at that's that the Federation eventually gets to the point like Ian e M Banks Culture series. You don't get a whole lot of exploration of that, but you get hints of it, and I, I think that that's kind of interesting. Uh, so that was a fun story. There is an entire issue that has to do with the story uh, about Uhura, which I thought was great. Uh, be, and and after I read it, I couldn't help but think like suddenly I was like, you know, there's not a whole lot of stories where like Uhura is really like the main character and the badass. I mean, sometimes you get it, and she's doing some badass stuff, uh, kind of like in 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 certain like in Ashes of Eden, she was she was really solid in that. And I'm sure there's been novels like as much as I may have tried in the past, I have not read every single Star Trek novel that's ever come out. I just haven't. I mean, and there's hundreds like it, it, it's it's a tall order for anybody to do. Um, so I'm sure there's some novels out there where Uhura is like the lead character, but it, it kind of made me sad reading this. I was like, yeah, you know, what a pity that that such a great character doesn't really get enough love. Um, but it was fun for her to have her own little story in this. And it's just a very simple story where she encounters like this kind of the species that that seems to be intelligent looks like it can kind of communicate and she's trying to communicate with it. And she's a communications officer and she's in her red uniform. You know, it's the original series time frame, which, uh, you know, that's sexy. Um, then there's some other stories. There's a couple stories that have like the comic or the artist artistry stylings of like the gold key comics from the sixties or the seventies, uh, which I thought that was a nice touch. Those, those look really cool. I mean, right down to where like, there's almost like flames coming out of the engines of the enterprise of the, you know, the original NCC one seven Oh one. Um, that was fun. The real highlight though, in this entire star Trek waypoint series. Um, and then they covered like, you know, there's a next gen story. Like they, there's a lot of different, um, there's a, there's a really great story with Kira with major Kira in it. Uh, you know, they, they try to, to cover all of the different uh, bases of, you know, of, of storylines, though. Was shit. Was there even an Enterprise comic in there? I don't know that there was an Enterprise comic now that I think about it. And which is interesting because there's artwork for Enterprise, but I don't think there was. a Yeah. See, I really think this was meant to be a full series and maybe it just didn't sell well enough and they they, they didn't continue. Anyway, regardless. Um the real winner in this entire, and you can get the graphic novel, all the links are in the show notes to, to if you want to get your hands on some of this stuff. Um, and it uses the stuff.sexandsciencehour.com uh, affiliate link. But uh, anyway, so the, the real winner is the last story in this series, which I mentioned earlier. I talked about Star Trek Phase 2, which was this proposed uh, television series before the motion picture and they ended up canceling it because they were instead they wanted to make a Star Trek movie right they wanted to make the motion picture in the 70s you get a proposed story from Star Trek phase two you know as a comic book right down to you have that that refitted um, NCC 1701 that like I said that Eagle Moss just came out with a, a model for um, you Zahn is in it um, I think you briefly see Lieutenant Ilea uh, but Zahn was this character proposed for that really ended up becoming the uh, uh, the archetype for data for the character of data, because Zahn is this full Vulcan as to where like Spock was half Vulcan because with phase two, they didn't know if they'd be able to get Leonard Nimoy. And it turns out that they really couldn't. 
Um, in fact, the fact that Nimoy was in Star Trek The Motion Picture apparently is a small miracle. But anyway, they were worried they couldn't get Nimoy, and so they created another Vulcan character, that being Zahn. And Zahn is is a full Vulcan who wants to find out about being human. As to where Spock was kind of the opposite, where he was half human, but he wanted to be more Vulcan, you know? Uh, and so it would have been this interesting interplay. And that becomes the basis for the character of Data in The Next Generation. Much of what was planned out for Phase 2 ends up being the basis for what we get, at least in the early parts of The Next Generation. How Data doesn't have emotions, but he's trying, you know, he's a robot, and he, or he's an android, and he's trying to be more human. Uh, same same thing with the character of Zan. So it was really, really fun to to see this. And, and for it to be a comic book is is great because you get to see slightly updated versions of things from the original series. OK, not where it looks like the motion picture, but where it looks like kind of a hybrid between what you see in, in the motion picture and what is in, um, you know, and what was originally proposed for phase two and what is really in the, the original series. Like the uniforms kind of look the same. The Romulans look similar to in the original series, but they're all like slightly updated. The Enterprise is slightly updated and all this. And I, I just I thought that that was a really cool idea to run with. Um, because you're doing an anthology series and you can kind of run whatever universe you want. Um, there are a lot of aspects to Star Trek Phase 2. There's a great book about Star Trek Phase 2 that you can find. There's actually two of them, but there's one uh, particular one, literally called Star Trek Phase 2, that gives you like a lot of the um, artwork, a lot of, you know, a lot of the, uh, you know, art proposals and um, concept artwork. It gives you a lot of the scripts for and you see how some of those were used for the next generation. It gives you a lot of the scripts from the series that were proposed and everything. It kind of gives you a big story about it. It's, it's a tremendous book that came out in the 90s um, that I have. I, I just I, I love it. Uh, so I do recommend reading that if you're really more intrigued by phase two. Uh, but there was a lot in that that I thought was very sexy. Like Gene Roddenberry was really going to ramp up uh, the sex, I think, in, in the show. And kudos to him for that. Uh because the world really, and I mean it, just doesn't have enough of that, certainly within, you know, science fiction. So I think Star Trek Waypoint overall, it's a worthy read. It's, I can see why if it was planned to be more than just a six issue miniseries, why it didn't last. Because like, it's not, it's not that great of a read. Like most of the stories aren't that good. Uh, but there's like, there's a cool, a, a cool uh, a story where Nurse Chapel really like saves the day, which is nice to see her getting some love and get into some action. Um but yeah, you know, it, like I say, it's worth reading, but not not the greatest Star Trek comics ever made. The real winner is that phase two story that I thought was was a really fun exploration uh, as far as that goes. So do so go ahead and check that out if you want. Um, now, let's review uh, a couple of releases. Uh, the first one being and we'll get into the Blu-ray release after this. Um, the first one being the and La La Land Records. If you don't know about La La Land Records. Uh, they they release these very rare limited editions, sometimes even like autographed editions, but they'll do these very limited runs of soundtracks for various shows. Uh, and usually the limited runs will be anywhere from 1500 pieces to like 3000 pieces, or they'll do expanded scores uh, for and soundtrack releases for various movies. Like um, they release the four disc version of the uh, soundtrack for Jurassic Park for the first Jurassic Park movie, um, or they. Um, like they put out the two disc version of Waterworld or Sky Captain uh, and the 
what is the sky captain of the world of tomorrow and, and, and things like this. Um, I'm a big fan of the work that they do. They've also come out with like the four disc versions of the soundtracks for the X files, Batman, the animated series. In fact, they release most of the soundtracks for DC's animated movies as well, which I'm a huge fan of. Um, and we have a review for uh, Gotham by gaslight to come out uh, very soon as well uh, on for sovereign tech patrons. But anyway, um, they they release with Star Trek. They every like twice a year about it seems that they've been doing this. They will release first off. They'll release uh, like any Star Trek movies that come out. They'll release two disc versions of the movie soundtracks. But for television series, they'll release like these four disc collections and they'll do multi volume collections of it, too. Like uh, Enterprise already has two volumes out for it. Next Generation already has two volumes out for it. And they did their major like Ron Jones project, which was, which was like a 10 disc set or something. Or they have the 14 disc set for uh, for the original series. And they have like that huge disc set for the Lost in Space that I don't have yet. But anyway, these these sets, unfortunately, like there's some torrents out there. I think you can find on the Pirate Bay where some of these sets are available. But a lot of the newer ones that have come out in the past like year and a half um, have not been released. I haven't found them on any torrent sites whatsoever. Uh, So, you know, you're kind of left to having to purchase these things, uh, you know, if you really want them. So their latest release that just came out like three weeks ago is the volume two of their Star Trek D space nine music collection. Um, I, I have to admit, I like this four disc collection much better than the first collection that they released. The first collection is fantastic and covers a very broad swath. They probably didn't know if they were going to be, be able to release a volume two because they didn't know how well D space nine would sell. Um, but I'm glad they did come out with this and you know, you're get, you, you run the gamut as far as the amount of episodes. There's episodes from pretty much every, almost every season that is represented on this disc set. Uh, all of the almost all of the different composers and D space nine, unlike some of the other star Trek uh, shows did have a variety of composers, uh, like more than two, like a lot of the shows, you know, Dennis McCarthy and Jay Chataway would do most of the music, right? Um, there are other guys involved, uh, like David Bell, uh, Gregory Smith, Paul, uh, Paul, uh, Bellargian, I think his name is, you know, there's, there's others that got involved with D space nine and D space nine would do some wacky stuff musically as well, where they'd bring, you know, Vic Fontaine and they'd bring in some other stuff. Um, so this is, this is actually an awesome collection. The main winners here, in my opinion, for for this four disc set is there's quite a few times. And this is surprising that it's on a D Space Nine collection, because when you think D Space Nine, you don't instantly think Vulcans or maybe you think Vulcan Love Slave. But, you know, you, you don't think of Vulcan characters so much. Right. Um, other than that, that, you know, honestly, very sexy Vulcan that was uh, part of the Maquis. Um, but there's Vulcan music in this in this collection that is so I mean, it almost sounds like tantric music. It's so hot. Like, I mean, and it's beautiful. It's, it's hot and it's beautiful at the same time. Um, and I love that dynamic where, you know, that the Vulcans, you know, like they don't express their emotions and all this stuff, culinary, you know, the whole thing, but yet their music is just filled with so much emotion and passion. Uh, I, I really like that dynamic and this set really, really puts that off. Uh, so this is totally worth, if you're into Star Trek music, this is absolutely worth having. Um, I don't think, I don't know that it's the best set, 
uh, that they've ever released so far. There's probably some next gen sets that are a little little more solid. The Voyager set that they put out, the four disc Voyager set. I hope we get a volume two of that as well. Uh, but the four disc Voyager set that they put out is probably the best thing they've done. But this is right up there. This might be the number two set that La La Land Records uh, has released. So totally worthwhile. Um, just some some stunning tracks involved, and like and there's some fun ones too. But the main kind of the, the main winners here. Uh, or any time that they pull out kind of like the Vulcan flutes and all that. I, I just, I, I loved it. So, all right, now on to our last bit uh, that we're going to review, and that is the Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, of course, the movie that everybody seems to universally agree is amazing. Even a lot of Star Trek, people who aren't Star Trek fans, they absolutely love Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. Uh, the director's cut release of the Blu-ray. Now, this is kind of weird, okay, because the Star Trek movies, when they get released... Most of the time, you, I mean, you can buy them singly most of the time, right? Um, but most of the time when they come out, they, they come out as like a box set. And, you know, you get all these different versions of the film and everything. The, the Star Trek releases on Blu-ray have been very weird for a few reasons, okay? Because when they initially came out on Blu-ray, they did come out in box sets. And you could buy them singly, too. But they did come out in box sets. And the lack of features on the Blu-rays... Also, the the uh, what I would argue inferior versions of the film, not not not. I mean, you know, video quality and audio quality wise are stunning, but the inferior versions of the film that they're of the films that they were releasing on Blu-ray was really questionable. Like I I've I never bought um, the Star Trek movies on Blu-ray because the releases I thought were piss poor again, not not the video and audio, but like what's actually on the disc and what version of the film you get. So. For the, throughout the aughts, when DVDs finally really kicked into high gear and you know people just fell in love with DVDs, uh, you were getting these amazing releases for the Star Trek movies, and they were huge events. Like you would get full page ads for the releases of each of each new of each film. You know, be it Star Trek the Motion Picture, Star Trek Two, Star Trek Three, whatever. Uh, and part of the reason was there was there was so much uh, like extra content released with. I mean, like each. Each DVD set, it was always a two-disc set at least. And, I mean, it, you, you were getting a veritable encyclopedia with all of these films. Um, and not only that, but you were getting, you'd get all the deleted scenes and stuff. And then then you'd also, for, mo- for a lot of the films, not all, because not all of them had this, but for a lot of the films, you got director's cuts and extended editions. So for Star Trek The Motion Picture, you got Star Trek The Motion Picture, the director's cut, which was done, uh, when was that done? Like 2000, 2002, something like that where they had Robert Wise come in. They did all new effects for the movie and everything. I mean, it was it, it's this beautifully it's a super well done version of the film. It is the way to watch the movie. Um, and somehow that is yet to be released on Blu-ray. I, I have no understanding of why that version of the film has not been released on Blu-ray. I mean, Star Trek, the motion picture is an oddity in that there's already even before the director's cut, there was already like four or five different versions of that film out there that you could purchase. Like on V on VHS, there was a special longer edition. That was actually the name of it. Um, there was the edition that would play on TV normally. Then there was the theatrical edition. I mean, like there was all these different versions of that film to begin with. But, you know, we only have one release of that movie ever on Blu-ray. It's very weird. And, and that's my favorite Star Trek movie. So it's just, you know, that's part of the reason I've never bought uh, uh, Star Trek movies on Blu-ray. So and then, I mean, that wasn't the only one. You know, Star Trek Two they did come out with the director's cut originally, which originally aired on ABC back in 83 or 84, whatever. Um, 
they did eventually release the director's cut of that uh, on as a two disc set, you know, part of the uh, on DVD. And now finally, just in this past year, did they release it on Blu-ray? Um, then you had the longer edition of Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock that was released as a two disc a two disc set. Um, then you go all go all the way to Star Trek Six, which had like eight extra minutes on it on the DVD, which was true for the VHS as well, but it's different from the theatrical release. And you just you had you know these beautiful sets that came out on DVD with again and like the amount of features on these things not just deleted scenes but commentaries and all this other shit that they just jammed onto these discs was remarkable they were they were totally worth you know any asking price that they were going for um but the blu-ray is the exact opposite not worth getting fortunately i can say as long as you get the right one star trek 2 the wrath of khan uh, director's cut blu-ray is certainly worth getting um it is interesting that it was released completely on its own i don't think that there's a box set that comes with it included uh and maybe that's okay. And the reason I'll say that is that while I like the director's cut fine, it's not that much better of a film. Like it, it's not, it's all right. So, so with the Blu-ray, with the HD transfer that they did for this, yes, it looks much better than the original edition Blu-ray of Star Trek two. No doubt about it. It looks better than the DVD. Obviously no questions there. What I'm talking about is the movie in general, the director's cut of Star Trek two is, isn't exactly superior to the original version of Star Trek two. Like there's, there's scenes added right with, you know, Scotty's nephew and all this stuff. Um, but part of, if it was just adding in scenes, I would say it makes it better, but what they actually had to do to add in some scenes, they had to do different takes. And when you're so used to most of your life, hearing William Shatner talk in a very specific way and deliver lines in a very specific way as only Shatner can, when he says it differently, it takes you out of the moment. You know, when you've been used to it for so long. So the director's cut, it's not worse, but it's also really not necessarily better. And in fact, it I feel like it's its something that you have to get used to because I'm not used to Kirk saying things in sometimes. And it's only like a couple scenes where it happens where he's saying things differently than he did in the original theatrical version of Star Trek, too. Um. So, yeah, I mean, get be prepared for that, for the director's cut, if you've never seen it before, that it is a little bit different in that sense. But like I say, it's not an inferior film. So obviously the sound, the video, you know, it's not 4K, but I don't give a shit about that. Uh, it's stunning. It's I mean, and you really can tell the difference. Like it, it is remarkable just how good this movie still looks um, and, and what a great HD transfer um, that they did of it. Uh, the commentary tracks there's and you can I think it has the original version. It does have the original version of the film on there as well. So you can watch them both ways if you really want. So that makes it worthwhile to have uh, two. Uh, Nicholas Meyer, the director, who tremendous guy, uh, also responsible for Star Trek six and kind of responsible for Discovery, though. That's up to debate now, I think um, he he does a commentary for both versions of the film on there. His commentary is very interesting to listen to. Uh, other people get involved as well. Manny Cotto. Uh, that I, I, I think are really worth listening to. Um, Michael Okuda's kind of technical textual where, where it's like a subtitle, but it's a commentary uh, is included in this. That was part of the two disc DVD set, which I thought that, that was nice. was there a um, lot of nice features, you know, involved with it. In fact, one of them, one of the features that really stands out that I don't think this was on the DVD because I, I watched those DVDs stem to stern. This is really nice. And I want to know who the fuck made this. And like, in, in fact, it was downright hot. Okay. They make this. I, I really, I got to find out where, what the hell, who, who was, who's, what was the thought process around this? There's a, a special feature on here called Starfleet Academy, 
the mystery behind SETI Alpha 6. And this is in HD, so I think it's new for this HD, or, you know, for this Blu-ray release. And what it is, it's explaining what happened between SETI Alpha 5 and SETI Alpha 6, which in Star Trek 2, you know, you find out that SETI Alpha 5 is where Khan was dropped off, and SETI Alpha 6 months later, uh, you know, explodes and lays waste to SETI Alpha 5, right? Um, it, you know, you get the classic line from Khan in the movie, right? This is SETI Alpha 5! You know, right? He just like, you know, Ricardo Montalban yells it out as, as only he can. And so there's this like Starfleet briefing that you get from like this admiral who I think it's like this Australian, you know, like kind of I don't want to say middle aged, but like maybe Australian woman in her 30s or something like really sexy wearing next generation style, you know, like like a a, a nemesis style um, uniform, a Starfleet uniform. And she's explaining what happens and they, you know, you get the whole L cars layout and everything. And there's this whole, you know, di- uh, diagram and, and, and explanation of what happened between the two. And I was like, wow, like this, this kind of needs to be a thing that was so simple to do because all they did, they obviously put her like in like almost like a blue screened office of sorts, but it looked good. And her delivery was fantastic. And, and it just gave you like this explanation of what happens in the movie. And it was such a nice bonus feature. And to have that attachment uh, to, you know, the next generation timeline or the Voyager timeline, whatever, you know, Voyager is the one that goes furthest into the future uh, as far as consistently. Yeah, I, I like that. That was that was a nice touch. Um, and I would love it if they released they need to do more of those kind of Starfleet Academy briefings in pretty much every Star Trek release. Uh, because that like you felt in universe, like you were watching almost some kind of training video and you were in the 24th century. Uh, and, and I, I dig that. I like that when they treat things in universe, in universe, you know, like (laughs) I, I like I, that, that honestly turns me on. Uh, Like, I I think that that's so cool. Um, so that, that was a, you know, it's just a little special feature, but at least it's a special feature. Like I said, most of the Blu-ray releases for these movies have almost no special features whatsoever. This has plenty. Uh, so well worth, you know, uh, picking up, in my opinion. Um, do make sure. Here's here's the thing. They made a gaffe with the disc where it would create some kind of error on certain Blu-ray players and whatever. Um, if you... And I, I think it might be during when you're watching the original film, which is maybe why they didn't catch it, because like I said, this does have both editions of the film. When you get this, if you get the Blu-ray, look on the back and look at the, what is it, the UPC code? Look at the barcode on the back of the, of the disc or of the, uh, of the case. Make sure that it's yellow and not white. Make sure that the barcode is, is the UPC codes in yellow um, and it has a yellow background and not a white background. That way you know you have the fixed disc. Um, they were, it was a total flub. They, they were sending out new discs to anybody that would mail them the original disc and then, you know, they, they did get back the updated one. Uh, but now I think whenever you order it, you end up getting the, you know, you, you get the one with the yellow uh, UPC code on it. But just make sure if you have the white UPC code, send it back and say, you know, I need a different one. This is this is the the, the flawed disc. Uh, so something to keep in mind with that. But uh, yeah, beautiful release. Um, I really hope that I don't know how well this sold. I know they they certainly did a lot of marketing around it. I don't know how well it sold. I really hope that we get the Star Trek, the motion picture director's cut, um, on, on Blu-ray. The only thing, my only problem here, like I said, there's, there's plenty of special features, but this is something I've noticed with Blu-rays in general over the past, I don't know, two, three years. 
the menus and we we've I've talked about this many times on Sovereign Tech Prime episodes. The menus are so fucking basic and like they're not even, you know, like HD quality menus. You think at the very least that they could, you know, put some, you know, fucking 4K bitmaps or something on there, you know, <laughs> like like they look really shitty uh, as to where when if you look at um, if you look at like those two disc sets for Star Trek that, that uh, DVD sets that were released for each movie. I mean, you're you're getting like it's all I, I've said this before. It was like watching a movie in itself, you know, like the for for uh, Star Trek, the motion picture for the director's cut, the two disc set, like the menus were taking you throughout V'ger and you'd flew you'd, you'd kind of fly through V'ger whenever you'd activate something that you wanted to watch and everything. I mean, it was like it was brilliant. It was beautifully done. And it seems like nobody gives and it's not just Star Trek Blu-rays. It's almost any Blu-ray where the menus are just shit. You know, I don't know what happened there. I guess they feel there's no I mean, maybe that's why they don't put a whole lot of special features anymore on Blu-rays either. Nobody's watching them. And the sad part is, is that they they know like like the movie, you know, the production houses and everything. Hollywood in the abstract knows whether or not you're looking at these. And you want to know how they know, because everybody's fucking hooking up their. Um, their Blu-ray players to the internet, right? Because maybe their Blu-ray player has a Roku built into it or something like that. They are collecting metrics or like there's the BD live features and all that. I guarantee you, I can't exactly prove this, but then so many things that people have said about what TVs were doing and, and whatever else have turned out to be absolutely true. And we've talked about it many times on Sovereign Tech Prime episodes. Okay. With Blu-rays, I think that they that they are getting data on what you're playing, what you're looking at, what you're watching, and they know that you don't spend more than a second, perhaps, in the menu. They know that you don't um, that you're not watching the special features. They, being Hollywood, I think they know. I, I think that's what's going on because I cannot believe like the complete lack of care that is going into the menu system for these things. Like some of the, you know some movies. Um, you know, for, like on DVD, some or even even some of the early Blu-rays, some movies I would I would just have the uh, I would have the, the the DVD menu just play in the background and just let it ride. You know, it was like looking at fine art. I'm I'm serious. It was, it was really amazing. Like especially like the Terminator Two Ultimate Edition that was on DVD. Um, even the Gladiator, the original Gladiator menu on DVD. Um, I mean, I mean, I and and certainly the Star Trek discs. I mean, the the menus were just stunning, and the you know you'd have either like the bridge sounds, or there'd be some kind of great music going on or something, and you could just let it ride, and it would just run forever. Man, did I love that! Uh, but I would not do that for two seconds with any of these new Blu-rays. What I mean that that part of them. I mean, the releases themselves are generally, you know, fine, and 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 the you know the the Blu-ray, you know, the transition to Blu-ray and everything, all that's pretty good, but the overall production level of the Blu-ray of the presentation of the Blu-ray is, is really piss poor these days. I'm, I'm very annoyed by that. It's a good thing. I mean this, it's a good thing that Blu-rays are so fucking cheap. Like, you know, if this was the DVD days where I remember like when criterion collection DVDs would come out like uh, the last starfighter or RoboCop, like there was the criterion collection of RoboCop. I would pay, this would have been the late nineties, early aughts. I would have paid 40, 45 bucks for some of those flat out. You know, I'd go to the store Saturday matinee or whatever back when they had actual just like stores that were just movie stores. That's all they were. Um, I would, yeah, I'd pay out like 40 bucks for, for like a two disc DVD set or something. Um, 
fortunately, you know, now, I mean, you buy entire television series for, I mean, like multi-season television series for 40 bucks, uh, you know, uh, on Blu-ray. So yeah, I, I mean, like, I guess maybe that's part of why maybe, maybe that's another reason why the, the, the overall production level of the Blu-rays, uh, or the presentation level of the Blu-rays is, is kind of piss poor is because they're not making a whole ton of money off of these. Like the margins are got to be very slim. Um, I mean like, you know, you can pick up the director's cut of Wrath of Khan on Blu-ray for 10 bucks, 10 bucks. You know, I'm sure I paid 25 for the two disc uh, DVD set, you know, back in the day. So yeah, I mean it's, and, and like the average movie that I've seen that you can buy on Blu-ray on Amazon is like $7, you know? So maybe, maybe that's the deal, you know? I mean, because then consider even go back to VHS. I used to pay 30 bucks for a VHS, you know, for a tape, especially if it was widescreen, they tack on five bucks for it being widescreen back in the day. So maybe that's the deal. Maybe that's why there's not such a great, such a great presentation levels because they're not making the money to afford to even hire people to do that. And, and again, that in conjunction with the fact that I think they know how little time you're spending on special features or in the menu or whatever. Yeah. Maybe that puts it all together and creates that perfect storm to where we get these, you know, kind of, kind of, I mean, great, great releases as far as quality wise of, you know, the movie that you're watching, but otherwise piss poor in every other, uh, you know, every other metric, like with special features and everything else. So we'll see. I hope more of these get released. Um, I'm still the one thing, and I've said this many times when talking about Star Trek, the day, I, I am dying for the day when we can get a director's cut of some kind or an extended cut, at least, of Star Trek Nemesis. Because I think there's some deleted, and I've seen them, there's deleted scenes left on the cutting room floor that make that movie so much more warm, which is what it really needs, uh, and, and really enjoyable. Uh, so I'd love to see you know things like that kind of happen. But right now, there's the big push to have everything come out as a 4K uh, movie as well. And so, well... You know, maybe maybe that's what they're waiting on before they put out more of that kind of thing. I don't know. Uh, but this. Yeah. Star Trek, Two, I recommend it. The director's cut Blu-ray, you know, the standalone release. I think it's, it's very it's certainly worth 10 bucks. So anyway, OK, that's it for your January Star Trek update. We covered Discovery pretty much said that I just, you know, I enjoyed it. I mean, there's lots of there's so many little canon connections to talk about with Discovery. Uh, maybe I'll give like an overall series review. Maybe I'll get Stephanie on to talk about that as well. And we, and we, we can kind of dive deeper into what we thought with the story. I mean, we've we've been she and I have been watching like each episode twice. Like we'll watch it the night that it comes out. Then we'll watch After Trek. And then the next night, generally, we'll watch start. You know, we'll watch that same episode again. So it can't be that bad if it's making us want to watch it over and over again. And it, it really has uh, really has made for that. Um, so, yeah. So, all right. Remember, if you want to if you want to help out the show, let me know if you want Star Trek updates to continue past February between the time of when between the time of the end of season one and season two of Discovery. Um, and then I'll see about that. And also let me know, and like I'll probably do a full post about this uh, on Patreon, but let me know if you want to see the Star Trek erotic audio theater or the Star Wars erotic audio theater. Which one do you want for 2018? Um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll start thinking about that. So anyway, woo, that's it for, <laughs> well, we're not done with January yet. You've got a couple more things coming to you uh, still, but I will see you on the other side, maybe even in the mirror universe. Woo.